please, if you have a Bible, if not, you may listen, but let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. We'll be looking at Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Luke 2, 1 through 20. Now, before we read this passage, this Christmas passage, I just want to point out two barriers in doing so. Barriers to our being affected appropriately by what we are reading. The first is familiarity. And familiarity breeds contempt, or another way to say it, familiarity breeds taking for granted, or it breeds a lack of being impacted by what we read. Some of us will be driving through the light section over here in Torrance after service tonight. You can't drive through sections like that without running across a manger scene. Oh, Look at that. Nice. This story that we're going to read is probably the most well-known story on planet Earth. And I I don't mean merely the Western world. And that will cause even Christianized people to maybe see a manger scene and what it represents historically and without knowing it, shrug off the impact of what we're going to read here in Luke chapter 2. Thinking that this sweet story of a baby is not really that relevant to the problems and the pain in my life. That's the first barrier. Beware. The second is this. That When one hears this story, the story we've been singing about for 30 minutes, the story that you'll see on people's lawns with a manger scene, there's a huge barrier, and that is not coming to grips with the reality of your own situation before the God who created you. When you don't understand the separation in the pure holiness and thus justice of the one who made you that hangs over your head. This will be nothing but what a sweet manger scene. And then you go to the next lawn and oh that's really cool. You got the Grinch who stole Christmas. That's a nice story too. But our passage that we're going to look at this evening is not meant to merely conjure up traditional Christmas feelings. It is meant, right or wrong, but it is intended as an historical statement of what has happened in the first century in Israel and in Bethlehem. It's meant is the pinnacle, the center of all existence. It's meant as the message 
as good news that comes to, to everyone who hears it. And it's meant to say, you don't want to live without it. And you certainly don't want to die without it. See, if the Bible is correct when it says, for all, everybody, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the God who is holy, who is pure justice, and therefore, like Joe LeMay, stand by ourselves God will never do any injustice to me. But if it's true I'm a sinner, then that means His just wrath is waiting to come down in pure holiness. Now, if that's true, then the news of the Savior being born in Bethlehem Cannot be when you look at a manger scene. Oh, that's nice and sweet. But as the angels will say, it is good news of great joy. Luke, he's a physician. He intends this as an historical account, which means that it confronts every human being. And they cannot, one way or another, Shrug it off is mere personal religious opinion. So, if you are there in Luke chapter 2, let's begin with verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, in order to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And then the next two verses are simple, to the point, and they are the beginning of the central event of all human history. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So there they are. They're probably in a cave cut out in a rock there in Bethlehem. And it's made for the place where the animals live. Then the pains come. Uh, not so bad. Then the pains get stronger. And they get closer together. And who knows how many hours go by. And Mary finally transitions you don't know what that is, Alex, you will find out. It's when the wife wants to kill you. <laughs> and she's screaming. It is a dirty, a smelly birthing room. 
And then on the second or third try, she's pushing and there's Joseph. And finally out comes this real bloody, slimy baby. And he or she, they grab stuff to clean the baby and wrap him, mummy-like, with cloth to keep him warm. And he cries. It's that part of that song was wrong. He cries. He's a baby. And then he lays the baby in the food bowl for animals. A manger. Now, thousands of babies were born that very day. In China, in India, in numerous African tribes, in northern Europe. Thousands. Some with silver spoons in their mouths. Some in deep poverty. And this baby also was born to nobodies in a nowhere place. In a stinking, smelly animal stall. This, though, was a mind-boggling moment. The eternal God, the Creator of the universe, the second person of the Godhead became fully human in the womb of Mary. And now, in our text, was finally born. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament summarizes it this way concerning Jesus. Though He was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, nature. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even Death on a cross. What we're looking at is this. This person who is now a baby is the one that the first book of the Bible spoke about when it said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The omnipotent, all-powerful, the omniscient, all-knowing, the eternal, the only self-existing one has now become a human baby. One person is there, not two. There's not a divine person and a human person. There is only one person who now has two distinct natures. Divine and human. 
He's not God inside of a box. He's not a divine, the divine being inside of a human shell called a human body. No. He took to Himself full humanity just like you and me. Yet, without sin nature. One divine person, the second person of the Trinity, who has always existed, He has always had His divine nature, now has brought to His very person another nature that He'll never let go of. It's called humanity. He has become one of us. And as a baby, he's real. He will cry because his diaper is dirty or because he's hungry. This mystery is beyond any human analogy. It is beyond fully comprehend, comprehending. Yes, I have an analogy. I can see it's like that. I get it. it you just Your mind will go at a point. The Creator, God the Son, subjected Himself to His own creation and became a human baby. He will experience total dependence upon His mommy as an infant. And He will experience growth and development. His human reason will develop He will not know the alphabet, then He will come to learn the alphabet. Language skills will grow. He's very human. Now, don't don't miss it. This one person, Jesus, all that will be His experience in His human nature, not His divine nature. God cannot know something He didn't previously know. And neither could this person. In that divine nature. But in His human nature, as He laid that aside, He is in every way like you. Yet, without sin. And the text says, there's Joseph. Wrapped Him with cloths and laid Him in a feeding trough for animals. And let's pick up. Verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. That's what happens if you see a real angel. And the angel said to them, oh, listen to it. Don't fear. For look, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Here it is. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths 
and lying in a manger. And so now, the angel says to these shepherds, the baby is the Savior. Who cares about that? I don't need you to save me unless I'm in quicksand or something, or I'm hanging from a cliff, or think of other predicaments where we need the existence of someone saving us from disaster. With the Bible, the Hebrew Scripture, which has been sitting there, completed for hundreds of years by this time, has made it very clear that every human being, Jew or Gentile, is on the precipice of horrific disaster that we put ourselves into called sin. And the announcement is that baby is the one who comes to deliver you from that. Now that's, here's the question. Saving who? Who are those people? Well, He's a Savior for those who come to grips with reality. With the reality that somehow they exist by the will of, a, of another. And that they know they're screwed up. They know... <laughs> Yeah, I've got a good part, I've got that part. But they know, honestly, that something is really dark and dirty about their very core. The core of their being. They know, I have belittled my Creator. I have lived and acted in such ways that shows I have spurned the one who brought me and everything else into existence. They know I stand guilty. It is to them. It is those people that this is good news of great joy. This baby lying in the manger, the text says, is the one who will save people from the future judgment against their sinfulness. He is the, what the Hebrew prophets and the Hebrew Scripture have prophesied about for hundreds of years. He's the one called in Hebrew the Mashiach. That, that means anointed one or Messiah. When you translate the Hebrew Mashiach, anointed one, into Greek, it's Christos. Into English, Christ. And the angel says, Born to you this day as a Savior, who is the Mashiach, the promised one in the Hebrew Scripture, uh, the Christ. And then stunning, stunningly, he says, Christ, the Lord. 
That word Lord there in the Greek, kurios, that's the word when you translate the Hebrew Old Testament personal name of God, Yahweh, the one who was at the burning bush with Moses. The one who was manifested as the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The angel says, this baby is Christ, Yahweh. Crying. It needs to be changed. It's stunning. And we read on. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. Those are angels praising God. And they were saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Now you'll see that sign on lawns everywhere now. Peace on earth filled with all kinds of unbiblical meanings. It does not mean He's come to stop war right now. And murder. And fights between husbands and wives. One day it all cease. That's not what this text means. Read it. Peace on earth among men means people. Well, here's the question. Which people? Answer, quote, those with whom He is pleased. Literally, those on whom God's favor rests. Or, people of God's good pleasure. God says, peace. He's not saying, be at peace with one another. He's not saying, quit being angry with me. He's saying through the angel, because of this baby, with those with whom I'm well pleased, this baby is what will absolutely stop my perfect, just anger toward you. And there will be no more war that I will make against you. No wonder the angel says this is good news of great joy. Christmas is good news Who are the people with whom He's pleased? Well, there are signs of it biblically. And the Bible lays this out. You can say it this way. They are people who are utterly undeserving of anything good that God gives them. They are undeserving sinners upon whom God's favor rests. Well, how do you know which ones? Well, it's something like this. Upon everyone who somehow something happens 
And they come to a genuine fear of the one true God. And they receive and embrace and believe the message of His Son, Jesus. That this is the Christ, the Creator, who's truly human. And grew up and obeyed the law of God perfectly, without sin. And He did it as a substitute for all of us who didn't. And that He went to a bloody, torturous death in order there to receive the perfect justice of God against the sins of all who would believe in Him. And after being rock hard cold, you ever touch a dead body after two and a half days? How about after four hours? I have. He was raised, not resuscitated. He was raised from the dead, that same body, into new, everlasting resurrection life. It is those that becomes clear. Ah, God is well pleased, sinner. Because look at you. It's evident you've embraced His Christmas gift. But for everybody else, Christmas is as Simeon says later on in Luke chapter 2. Quote, Behold, this child, he's holding in his hands in the temple a week later. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall. Of many. Let's read on. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them, the shepherds, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And they found... Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You know what's stunning? Is the shepherds believed. They said, okay, let's go see. Now, just flash forward. And most of you part of this church will be working our way through Luke. And we have seen this unfold. About 35 years later, 
after this night. This baby is a man will say about himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served by you. He came to serve you and to give his life as a ransom for many. This sweet baby was born for the central purpose, not only to live as a human being perfectly and sinlessly on behalf of those who will embrace him, but he was born in order to be slaughtered, in order that on the cross he would absorb in his humanity the wrath of God that was against sinners. In Mark 10.45 that I just quoted, I've come to give my life as a ransom. There was a price of justice being paid that ransoms, frees from what? From the guilt of your sin. From the punishment of your sin. Freeze forever. Many. Not all. He says many. Well, who are the many? Different ways to say it, but it's very simply. This is how Romans 10.9 says it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God, really, historically, physically, raised Him from the dead. Has that happened to you? (laughs) He says you will be saved. One of the most famous texts in in the Scripture, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish in their condemnation, but would have eternal life. Now you know the next thing He says, don't, don't miss it. No one perishes because they refuse to believe in Jesus. They perish because of our sin. He says, God did not send the Son in the world to condemn the world. Not at all. The world's already condemned. He sent Him to save. Christmas is about history. See, if what we read is an accurate accounting of what happened concerning the birth, concerning what the angels said, concerning who this person is, if it actually happened as Dr. Luke records, then the birth of the Savior, of God Himself becoming a human being, confronts every man, woman, and child with objective facts. They're either true or they're not. 
please don't shrug them off. It means that God the Creator has broken into human history personally. In the person of Jesus Christ who lived sinlessly, kept the law of God perfectly so that His life would be given to sinners. That you did not live. And that on the cross, our sin would be imputed to His account and punished there. And to verify it all on the third day, God raised Him from the dead. That's the historical account. And that means that all of that doesn't save a person unless the Christ who was born in that animal stall in Bethlehem is miraculously born in you. No, no, I mean, there's a real baby there, and I don't mean some baby, I mean that the truth of that reality, somehow, there's a time where that comes alive. And you see it. Not just as truth. Truth, but not only truth, but delicious, good, tasting to the taste buds of my soul. Truth. This is how, when this baby grew up, he said it this way. Unless you're born again, you cannot see, nor can you enter the kingdom of God. The rule, the reign of His salvation. Which essentially means that when you hear the message of this good news of great joy, and you recognize it as truth, and embrace it as, yes, I, a sinner, nothing could be better. I can't make that happen for you. And only by God's grace did that happen to me when I was 19. But may God's grace rest upon all of us. One last thing. Those of you who know you've embraced Christ, just remember this in the story we're reading. Remember it when you think about the last 12 months, the times you've cried, the pain that you've endured and the pain and the humanity that lay ahead. Your Savior was born in an animal stall. He needed to be changed. Your Savior who created you became one of you. Know this this next year. There is no experience of your humanity that your Savior is not intimately acquainted with and more, except for sinning. 
So as we're going to sing here in a few minutes, Silent Night, meditate on this as you worship this king. Here's the way the Hebrew writer writes it. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, oh, hear this is coming near, don't run from him. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father, I pray that for eyes that are in darkness, For ears that do not hear, cause them to hear. Cause their eyes to see. And for us who have, by your mercy, been brought into Christ, may you cause us in this coming year to draw closer and deeper in fellowship with you by the Holy Spirit in the glorious word of truth.